All right, what is up, Fellowship College? My name is Jacob Bookout, and I'm the new guy on staff around here. And so I know that there are a lot of y'all, thank you, I appreciate that, a lot of y'all that I have not gotten to meet or even had the chance to meet yet. So I would love to some point tonight or throughout the semester. Uh, super excited to be on staff here and super excited to be with y'all tonight. Uh, coming off a big win and it's Labor Day weekend. That's a great time. I'm assuming that because you're here tonight, you either A, don't have a spot on the lake to go to, or you live too far away from your spot on the lake to go to. So I'm glad that y'all are here tonight. A uh, little bit about me. I, this place holds a special spot in my heart because I am a proud graduate of the University of Arkansas, graduated in fall 2018. Uh, I was involved in Greek life the whole time I was in school, uh, loved being involved there, and I probably called Fayetteville home for the past few years. Uh, but I especially love this spot because I didn't just go to school in Fayetteville, I'm actually a Northwest Arkansas native. My original hometown is just under an hour northwest of here. It's a little place called Gravit, Arkansas. Anybody, have anybody heard of Gravit before? Okay, yeah, probably all the people I know has heard of Gravit before, nobody else. Let me tell you a little bit about Gravit so you know a little bit about where I come from, who I am. Gravit is your stereotypical small town America. 5,000 people. High school football runs the town. I'm pretty sure we have not been very good the past few years, uh, which is kind of a bummer. Everybody knows everybody, which means you can't get away with very much, and I can tell you that from experience. And it's a pretty blue-collar place. Uh, like a lot of people in Gravit, including my family, uh, we come from running cattle, farming, manufacturing, things like that. Uh, and, and so that's the background that I grew up in. And you might be thinking like, okay, that's interesting. You don't really look like you're, you know, country or anything with your tapered jeans and your vans and whatnot. But I promise you I am. Uh, and I have a picture or a couple of pictures to show it. This is me whenever I was 10. And that's me learning how to rope. There is not the picture, but there's a cow on the other side of the end of that picture. I'm about to rope that thing. And I was pretty good at it. And then in the other picture, the white looking horse, that's Smoke, he's my horse. Uh, and that was like one of the first time, or the first years I had him, I was in 4-H and I was in a horse show and I won second place, which I was pretty amped about. Uh, but that's me, like through and through, that is in my bones. And what you see up there is really a lifestyle that I lived almost my whole life. Uh, coming out of high school into college, I kind of veered away from it. My sister's very much still involved in it. She's actually on the ranch horse team here at the U of A. Uh, but that's how I grew up. It was Western, it was country. And whenever you see the cowboy hat, the boots, the spurs, the ropes, we dressed like that because we kind of had to. <laughs> like if we wanted to go do that stuff, we had to dress like that. And where I come from, most of the time you see somebody, you're like, man, that's kind of a country looking guy. It's probably because that's how he's got to dress for work. Uh, it's a little more than just a fashion statement where I'm from, although it's a great fashion statement. Uh, it says something about, man, the way that we live. It's like a, there's a lifestyle that backs it up. And whenever I came to the University of Arkansas, uh, I of course went ag business because what else are you gonna do whenever you come from a farm town? and you're interested in business. You go ag business at the U of A. And whenever I started getting into some of my classes, I started meeting a lot of guys that were similar to me. They dressed similar to me. They came from similar small towns in Arkansas and Oklahoma and Texas and Missouri. And we did a lot of the same things. We're like, this is great. Look at all these people I'm gonna make friends with. 
And as I kept going throughout the semester, I kept meeting more and more people who looked like me. I was like, man, whitewashed jeans, cowboy boots. And then as I got to know some more of those guys, I realized, oh, wait, no, you're not actually quite like me. Like some of you guys are, but like, you're like from the Heights, like Little Rock. And you're from like the middle of Frisco. It's like suburbia. I was like, you're not country at all. It's like, oh, there's that guy from Jonesboro. Ah, but you grew up on the golf course. So it's like, uh, you know, how country can you be like that? And, and, and not, not to bash anybody who is from those places. I love those places growing up. Like, that's great. But whenever I was meeting these people for the first time, what they were saying to me through that fashion statement, just as my, what I was thinking was, I am country. I'm Western. There's this lifestyle that I bring. But they didn't. And as I kept going throughout the semester, uh, I kept making friends with guys in my classes. There were a lot of Sigma Chi's uh, in my ag business classes, as you do. And uh, they were awesome. And I was kind of befriending some of them. And partway through the semester, uh, this was before I started following Christ, mind you, what I'm about to tell you. uh, One of my buddies from back home was down. He was visiting. And we're like, hey, we're gonna go out. We're gonna get some beers tonight. We're gonna hang out. Where should we go? And I was like, oh, we should go to Sigma Chi. Like, I'm making friends with these guys. We're similar to them. Like, this is gonna be awesome. And so we're like, great. So we left Futural Hall, which is where, we were, where I was living. And we make our way down to Sigma Chi, you know, just expecting that all of the guys would be like, oh, you guys are great. Come on into our house, drink all the beer that we bought, hang out with all the people that are going through pledge ship to be a part of our fraternity. And uh, this was before I rushed. Uh, I, there were like six people from, our, from Grav that went to the U of A. One of them rushed. It was not me at first. Um, I waited until the spring. So yeah, there's that. I'm a spring. Um, and I, so we make it to Sigma Chi and I walk up to the door, party night, people are coming in and out. And literally, guys like, hey, come on in. And we just walk on into Sigma Chi. And it's like, this is awesome. And so we start walking around. We make it into the courtyard, which is just like the big middle section of Sigma Chi. Start playing beer pong, get tired of that, go meet some more guys, walk upstairs. It's a great time. People handing out beers left and right. We're connecting with guys. And I come around a corner and I bump into a guy. And his demeanor is not welcoming. He takes a step back, looks at me and goes, who are you? And before I could say anything, my buddy, who's very confident in himself, jumps in and goes, hey, my name's blah, blah, blah. I'm a Sigma Chi up in Missouri. And I'm like, bro, I know you're not a Sigma Chi. Like, you're actually in a different fraternity at your school. But he comes in to save the day because he knows, like, hey, we can't get busted walking around in here uninvited. And so he starts making friends with this guy. And eventually the guy starts to kind of like back off, but then two of his buddies come up and they're not buying it. They look at us, size us up instantly, don't know who these guys are. He steps in front of my friend and goes, hey, if you're Sigma Chi, shake my hand. I have no idea what's going on, but my friend knows exactly what's going on. And what's going on is this guy is saying, prove that you're a Sigma Chi by doing the handshake. My friend doesn't know the handshake, obviously. And so he stalls and is like, uh, 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 I don't know. And the guy says, get the blankety blank out of my house. And so we're like, all right, let's go. And so we book it out of there. It takes about 10 minutes to get out of the house because it's a maze in there, especially like when you're in the back corner section. And so we're walking around. We stumbled on the chapter room on accident. We're like, oh my gosh, where are we? And the whole time there are guys that are finding out there's a couple of really sus guys walking around acting like they're Sigma guys. Eventually we get out of the house. 
And I was freaking out. I was like, wait, we almost got jumped country style in Sigma Chi. But we make it back to Futural. And what I reflected on from that night is that I was country. I looked country. I lived country. I was friends with Sigma Chi's. I kind of looked like a Sigma Chi, acted like a Sigma Chi. I pretended to be a Sigma Chi for two hours in the house. But when push came to shove, and I had to prove that I was one, and my friend had to prove that he was one, we couldn't do it. We looked the part, but we weren't real. We weren't real. I want to ask you guys this question. What does real faith in Jesus look like? What does real faith in Jesus look like? Tonight, we are going to continue through our study through James, and we're going to see that James is addressing an issue that was prevalent then, and it's still prevalent now. And the issue is this conversation of what real faith looks like. It's an issue of, he was writing to people who were, in some way, claiming to have faith in Jesus, but their lives were not backing it up. When push came to shove, they couldn't prove it with any way that they lived. And so we're going to see, I want you guys to see tonight, that James defines what real faith is. And we're going to look and see that how, what real faith is by first looking at what dead faith is, so contrasting it, and then seeing that real faith is an act of faith. It's the main point. Real faith is active faith. And we, then we're going to look at what does our faith look like based on what James has for us in this text. And so let's jump right in. James, he starts out by explaining uh, what real faith is by saying, hey, this is what dead faith is. Basically, dead faith is an inactive faith. He says this, what good is it, my brothers or my brothers and sisters, if someone says that he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? It's a great question. Last week, Pope, uh, if you were here, he addressed the fact that James, whenever he's writing uh, this letter, he's primarily talking about this idea of righteous living. Like, what does it mean for someone who claims faith in Jesus to live in a way that reflects that faith that he claims? It's righteous living. And the model is James's brother, Jesus himself. And so that's where James is coming from. And whenever James here says, works, uh, whenever he says that if someone does not have or has faith but does not have works, that's all James is referring to. He's referring to this idea of righteous living, this obedience to Jesus that we'll get into a little bit later. Uh, it is not uh, what I often jump to from my spiritual background, and maybe some of you jump to, this idea of things to do in order to earn your salvation. That's not what James is saying here. He's talking about obedience to Jesus. Uh, it's something that Jesus actually hits on a ton, uh, especially in the Sermon on the Mount. If you were with us last semester, we taught all the way through the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus over and over again talks about this idea of righteous living. And he says things, like he says in Matthew 5, at the beginning, uh, to let your light or let the way you live shine before others so that people may see your good works and then glorify God who is in heaven. Those are the type of works that James is talking about. And he keeps going. Uh, he jumps to an example to, to show, hey, this is what the works I'm talking about are. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking any daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm, be filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. 
So James just gives an example uh, that is both prevalent and very popular, uh, caring for the poor. God talks about the believer's role of caring for the poor in life all throughout the scriptures. It's like one of the main things that he talks about. And so James just gives a layup example. Hey, you're all talk and no action. Like if you just walk by somebody who's in need, it's like, hey, hope you have a good day. Hope you get what you're needing and don't give them the things that he actually needs. Like, what are we doing then? Uh, I can relate to it. Uh, Maybe some of you guys can relate to it as well. Both maybe in instances in your life, like little moments or even uh, just your life in general. Uh, I grew up uh, very thankfully in a family of believers. Grandparents believers, parents are believers. Uh, I grew up around the gospel message and I never doubted once that God is, of the Bible is the one true God of the universe, that he sent Jesus to die on the cross for the sins of the world. I've literally, not that I can think of, ever doubted that fully. But whenever I got into junior high, high school, I kind of started getting pushed into a corner of, man, what's your life gonna look like? Because though I claimed this belief in God, my life looked slightly different because whenever God says things like, hey, consider others as greater than yourselves, sacrifice for them. I, more often than not, was kind of narcissistic. I was like, man, everything, all my thoughts, it's about me. It's about what can advance the things that I wanna do. Whenever God said, hey, don't let any corrupt speech come out of your mouth, but instead encourage one another with how you talk. I, more often, fell into the camp of, having hateful speech or vulgar or just self-centered speech. Every thought, again, was about me. Whenever God says, hey, be patient with one another and sacrifice time, energy for one another, I, more often, was thinking, I want my way now. This is what we're gonna do. Let's do it. I don't have time to be patient with people. There was a contrast back and forth. I basically just did whatever I wanted to be respected by my peers. Didn't matter if it was drinking, smoking, chasing girls. If I could get the respect, that's what I was going to do. And I did it in such a way that a lot of people around me were like, hey, that guy's like, he's not bad. Like, he's pretty moral. Like, he's kind of got his life together. And I did all of that while claiming faith in Jesus. I was living an incredible lie. Like it was, I had it down to a T and it was exhausting. And that's exactly the things that James are pointing, that James is pointing out. What are some situations in your life, specifically in college or whatever you're doing right now in life where say claiming our faith in Jesus and how we live, man, we gotta make sure that that is lining up. And maybe sometimes it's hard. For example, whenever Jesus says, hey, be salt and light wherever you are, be different than anybody who says, man, I'm not a follower of Jesus. Is that the way your life looks? Is that, is that how you're living? Or are you more often than not blending in with everybody else? Whenever Jesus says something really hard, like, hey, tear out your eye, cut off your hand so that way you don't lust, is your life following that example of doing extremes to live a holy life? Or are you more often seeking those things and just allowing them to come into your life? Whenever Jesus says to be a person of your word, to, hey, do what you say you're gonna do, do you commit to that? Is that something that somebody can point at you and say, yes, that person is like that? Or is it more characterized by ah, commit when it's convenient, flake out when necessary? 
These are the things that we gotta wrestle with on a day-to-day basis. Or what are we gonna choose? Are we gonna choose the way of God or are we gonna choose that way of ourselves? And what is our life characterized by? There's always gonna be times in which our lives don't quite line up with how Jesus says he should live, modeling after his life. And as believers, we're called to repent of that. In that moment, hey, change your mind, how we're thinking about those things, change how we're living in order to go back to being faithful to Jesus and living in that abundant life that he talks about. So James, he's talking about real faith, but he says, hey, an inactive faith, that's a dead faith. Now he goes on to talk about, hey, this is what real faith is. Real faith is an active faith. Can you all think of a, uh, a situation or an example where there are two things that come together and like you cannot take them apart? Like if you have one, you have the other. There's absolutely no way you can separate these two things. Let me give you an example while you think. Whenever I think of something like this, uh, I often think of my Texan friends. Where are my Texans in the house? Yes, I love this. Okay, Texans and your undying love for Texas are two things you cannot separate. Like if you meet somebody who says, oh yeah, I'm from Texas, and they will not sacrifice their life for the name of Texas. I'm like, I don't know if you're from Texas, bro. And I love that. Don't let anybody take that from you guys, okay? That's what I'm talking about. Can anybody think of any type of example like that? I want to see hands and I want some examples because that was the only one I had. Can anybody think of something? Oh, come on. No, y'all are shy. Oh, there's one right there in the hat. Taylor Swift? What? This, her Swifties and Taylor Swift? You know, I love that you said that because I lied. I actually did think of another example. Taylor Swift drops a new album. <laughs> Screaming, crying, throwing up over and over and over again on social media. And that's the Swifties that are coming out. You can't have a Taylor Swift album announcement without the Swifties doing something like this. It is wild, and I respect that. You ever tweeted something like that? No? You ever tweeted something like that? Okay, good, don't do it. Uh, Y'all, James is trying to get across a similar point here, as far-fetched as that is. Uh, Real faith cannot be separated from works or from action. Like they come paired up and he addresses that very thing. James goes on uh, in verse 18 to say this, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. And then James replies, well, show me your faith apart from your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. See, he's talking to people who are just trying to separate the two concepts like, oh, you have faith, I have works. You do good things. I believe in God. It's fine. We can do our own things. And James is like, no, you cannot have these two separate things. They go hand in hand. An act of faith cannot be separated from works. If I follow Jesus, then I love and treat people as I would want to be loved and treated. If I follow Jesus, I have integrity in every aspect of my life, especially test-taking, especially whenever you didn't study, especially whenever it's easy to cheat. I have integrity. If I follow Jesus, I don't get to punch somebody in the face just because I'm mad at them. That's not okay. You don't get to do that. My life must match this statement. I believe in God. It must 
match. And James goes on to give three examples of this. The first one is actually uh, hilarious to me. He gives an example of demons. Uh, James says, you claim that God is one. And so what James is doing, he's uh, quoting from something in the Old Testament called the Shema, which is just like this like standard Jewish statement of faith. Uh, it would be like if one of us were to say, hey, I believe that Jesus is Lord and Savior. It's similar kind of. Uh, he says, hey, you believe this? That's great. The demons believe that. And guess what? Because they know that God is one and the one true God, they shudder in terror. He's kind of taking a jab at the people who are really not living according to what they say they believe. He's like, hey, the demons are doing it right. Like, you guys got to figure out something because it doesn't match. So he gives the demons as an example. Then he goes on to give Abraham as an example. Now, for those of you who might not know, Abraham is like the poster child of faith in God, especially for the Jewish people that James is writing to. See, Abraham was the guy that God chose in the Old Testament to begin this people who would turn into a family, who would turn into a nation that would eventually be called Israel or the Jews. And through them, the one whom God was going to send to take care of all the sin and death in the world, aka Jesus, that's who they would come from. Abraham's the beginning of it. He promises Abraham, hey, this is what I'm gonna do with you. This is the promise. This is your future. And you're gonna have a kid. And from that kid, you're gonna have a family that's gonna grow. And, he, and God gives Abraham this promise when he's 99 years old. And Abraham, literally, if you go back in Genesis and read it, Abraham's like, I'm 99 years old. Like, well, I'm gonna have a kid? God's like, yep, you're gonna have a kid. And he's like, okay, I trust you, God. Abraham puts his faith in God. Sure enough, God fulfills his promise, like always. And Abraham has a son named Isaac. And Abraham's like, this is great, this is Isaac. This is the promise, like, we're gonna go through with this. And then a few years later, Abraham, or God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac literally kill Isaac, his son, which is just insane. And you have to be thinking, Abraham's like, this was the promise that God gave me. And now it seems like he's gonna take it away. But he still trusted God. He's like, God's gonna fulfill his promise. I don't know how, but he's gonna do it. And so he begins to carry out this command that God has given him. And God sees the obedience coming from the trust that Abraham has placed in God, even whenever the circumstances didn't make sense. And it says that, it was counted to Abraham as righteousness or right standing before God. And eventually God provides a different sacrifice so that Isaac um, obviously is not a sacrifice and the promise is not lost. Uh, but Abraham's righteousness is counted to him both because of the faith that he had and because of the works of obedience that was paired with that faith. And then James goes on, he gives his third example a woman named Rahab. Now, Rahab lived a long while after Abraham, and basically Abraham, or God is fulfilling his promise. Abraham's family grows, big nation. God's leading these millions of people to a promised land that he's going to give them. And along the way, they're kind of overcoming enemies, and they come to the city, and they send spies into the city. And while these spies are in the city, they meet Rahab. Now, Rahab is a woman. She's a prostitute, and she's a non-Jew, and so for the Israelites, she's like at the bottom of the totem pole socially. Like she is not a part of the people of God. But she tells the spies, I have heard of the amazing things that your God has been doing in the land. And I believe him. Like he's the one true God. And so she hides the spies. She aids them to help overcome the city out of obedience to God. And it says that because of Rahab's 
obedience and her works, her actions through obedience to God because of her faith in him, she was justified. You can find both Abraham and Rahab mentioned in Hebrews 11, which is nicknamed the hall of faith. It's people throughout the scriptures that have demonstrated great faith in God, people to be highlighted. They're both in there. And by the way, Rahab would actually go on to be of the lineage of Jesus. No Rahab, no Jesus. If she wasn't obedient to the spies, we don't know what would have happened. But God fulfilled his promise, and it was through her faith, through Abraham's faith, and through their works of obedience. Obedience to God, or works, will always accompany real or active faith. Always. You can't separate them. And that is what James wants us to know. He wants us to know so much that he summarizes his examples with this scripture. You see, according to these examples, that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now, when James is writing, again, he's writing to a people who have this problem. So in some fashion, there are people who are claiming to have faith in Jesus, but then their life is not backing it up at all. They're not obeying him at all. And so whenever James, whenever he writes this, and he says, justified by works and not by faith alone, that justified by works part, he is, again, he's not saying it's things to do to earn salvation. He's saying obedience to Jesus that comes from faith. Those are the works that he's referencing. And so in, in Jess, he's talking about being justified by your obedience to Jesus because of your loyalty to and love for him that naturally flows from your faith in him. You're considered righteous by an active faith, by a real faith. Now, you might be looking at that and thinking, I thought it was the opposite. I thought we were justified by faith and not by works. And if you're thinking that, you would be absolutely right. Look at Romans 3, verse 28. Paul writes this, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. That seems like they're contrasting, right? Like, you can be honest, it's like, okay, that, that's almost the exact opposite statement. But let me show you why it's actually not the exact opposite statement, and they're actually arguing for the exact same thing. <clears throat> Paul is writing to a completely different demographic of people. He is writing to a group of non-Jewish people, and this is their problem. They have a bunch of Jewish people among them who are, tr who are telling them that in order to fully be considered part of God's people, they have to practice obeying the Old Testament law, meaning they have to be circumcised, they have to obey dietary laws like you can't eat pork, they have to observe the Sabbath, all these things that the Jewish people did, or you're not a part of, actually a part of the God's people. So what the Jewish people are telling these guys are basically, hey, you, your faith needs to be in these religious activities that we do and not in Jesus alone. And that is what Paul is addressing whenever he writes this. Paul's like, no, a real faith in Jesus means trusting him for salvation and not the religious activity that we do. So that is the difference between what they're talking about. And they're actually arguing for the exact same thing. They're both arguing for a faith in Jesus alone that is demonstrated by the way you live. This is the essence of real faith that they are both arguing for. Faith in Jesus alone that is demonstrated by the way you live. 
And with that statement, we come to two ditches that we can all fall into and that people back then were falling into and something that we have to continue to evaluate. And these are the two ditches. The ditch from James, claiming to have faith in God, but then not have any of our parts of our lives back it up. And then the ditch from Paul, which is pointing to and trusting our spiritual activity or as Pope put it, our spiritual resume as the means of our salvation rather than what Jesus has done. Those are the two ditches. Now, I told you all how I kind of fell into that first ditch of, hey, faith, but my life didn't look like it at all. Uh, I've also been in the second ditch and I've somehow at different points in my life managed to be in both ditches at the same time. Uh, even whenever I claimed this faith in Jesus and my life didn't reflect it at all, I was actually very like involved in a lot of spiritual things. If anybody asked me like, hey, why, why are you a Christian? Like, why would you claim that? I would say things like, because my grandparents and my parents are Christians, they're believers, and I'm in church Sunday morning and Wednesday night, and I go to this Bible study, and I attend this church camp, and I wasn't, I'm not like as wild and as crazy as some of my friends, uh, and I could explain to you the gospel, uh, that God sent Jesus to die for the sins of the world. I can do all of these things, therefore I'm a Christian. Do you see how that statement is me pointing to a bunch of stuff? Like, look at all this stuff. I'm right with God because of these things. And Jesus is like nowhere wrapped up in it. That, I was doing both of those things at the exact same time. And then my freshman year of college, whenever I started to get glimpses of, hey, this is what it really means to follow Jesus, I basically just tried to do that same thing and repackage it. I was like, okay, I wanna actually follow Jesus. We gotta get serious this time. No more getting hammered, only social drinking, only a few beers, and that'll be fine. Uh, I need to go back to church because I got out of a little bit, but only whenever it's convenient. I'm uh, going to cut out smoking because that's a bad look. Uh, not chasing girls, not doing any of those types of things. And so if I clean myself up that much, then I'm following Jesus. But I wasn't. I was basically just trying to be a little more moral than I was before. I was pointing to a bunch of activity and not to Jesus as the means of my salvation. I didn't actually trust Jesus. Uh, I didn't understand what it meant to follow him and I didn't get it until the very end of my freshman year. After I've been hanging out with some people who were getting me involved in some Bible studies and talking through the gospel with me and, and I was seeing how they lived and how their friends lived based on, or versus how I lived, there was a stark contrast. And the longer I was with them, the longer I felt it. And I was like, man, that is crazy. Like, why are we so different? Even though I would totally affirm everything that they believed. And at the very end of my freshman year, everything clicked. I realized that the message of the gospel of Jesus, the fact that we as people and me individually continually, to, continually chose to not trust God, but to go do my own thing and to effectively just rebel against God, pulled me away from him. Sin was a problem in my life and I just did whatever I wanted to, but God didn't want me to remain in that state. And so he came in Jesus, took on flesh, took on every aspect of struggle that we have as people, went through it all without ever not trusting God and then was killed for doing nothing. The, Jew, or the religious leaders of the time, Rome, who's the oppressive government at the time, they crucified him the most shameful, excruciating death possible. And he took on the ultimate consequence of sin, which is death. 
And then he rose because his life was stronger than death. And his truth that came to combat all the lies of the world was stronger and he was innocent. And so he rose from the dead and he promises everybody who trusts and believes that he is what he says he is. He is who he says he is. And we follow him through this active faith of obedience with works that we will also be like him one day. Even though we die, we will be resurrected to experience abundant life that even starts now and will be like that forever. That message which I heard, I can't even tell you how many times, did not click until the end of my freshman year. And whenever I realized the truth of that message, something inside of me made it to where I could not not live an active faith. Like I, I w- all of a sudden I was like, I don't even want to do the things I was doing anymore, both the really immoral things and then also the stuff that I was like, oh, look at all the stuff I can do and now I'm good with God. I was like, man, I, I just wanna follow Jesus. An act of faith came out of it. Real faith is act of faith. That's what John, or that's what James wants us to understand. And so now we need to look at our faith. If this is all true, and it is, we've got to evaluate our faith on a day-to-day basis, and then also just, hey, how am I living, just generally? Am I living a real life and a real faith. I imagine that there's some of us in this room who maybe you feel like you're in one of those ditches. Uh, maybe just like right now, there's something going on. And it's like, man, I feel that. That's a ditch I'm in. Or maybe you're like, man, my whole life's been that ditch. Maybe you're like me. And I was like, I've been in both ditches same time for 18 years of my life. Faith, but nothing to back it up with. And then faith, but in all the things that I do and not in Jesus. The thing about Jesus is that he really wants us to understand what real faith is so that we can experience abundant life with him. And because of this, we got to evaluate our own faith. So I want to invite us for just the next couple minutes to evaluate our own faith and decide, hey, am I living in a real faith right now? According to the standards and the example that Jesus has set. The first one being Is your faith in Jesus alone? Are you being reliant on religious activity or on the work that Jesus has done? Religious activities could be the fact that you're here tonight, uh, you're here Sunday mornings, uh, you you come and help lead small groups, you serve at at a camp, uh, whatever it might be for you and like it was for me. Is that what my faith is in? Or is my faith in what Jesus has done alone? And secondly, Does your life involve actively obeying Jesus? Actively obeying Jesus looks like, hey, let's pursue holy lives, lives that are set apart and follow the way of Jesus. With our integrity, in our relationships, in our sexuality, are we living differently than what is said to be normal and leads to a not an abundant life with God? And are we growing in relationship with God? Are we taking steps Uh, for studying and applying the scriptures? Uh, Are we spending time in prayer, knowing God, knowing him more, talking to him, asking him for help with things, letting him know how we feel about things because he actually cares about those things, casting our anxieties on him because he cares? Are we surrounding ourselves with friends that are going to help push us to that to following Jesus more, to doing all the things that we've talked about, living out a real and active faith tonight with real fellowship. And are we telling others about Jesus? 
are, are we telling others about this insane thing that has happened in our life that's, that's changed our life and changed the way we think about things so much that we, you can't not tell anybody about it? Is that what's coming out of you with people that you know who don't follow Jesus? These are the characteristics of a real faith, of what James wants us to understand, that a real faith is an active faith. A dead faith is an inactive faith. And it's faith alone in Jesus that makes us righteous. And maybe you're here tonight and you're like, hey, I don't fall into either of those camps because I'm just, I'm not following Jesus. Like I recognize that either because I've known that for a long time or maybe you just realize that. And if that's the case, I'm so glad you're here and I would love to talk to you more about what following Jesus looks like. But maybe for you to begin to express this real faith in the one who claims to be the king of everything, it's just taking that step of, God, I wanna seek you. I wanna seek you with everything that I can because you say that if I do that, I will find you. And whatever that looks like, I would challenge you and encourage you that as we begin to just enter back into a time of worship, for both someone who's not following Jesus in the room and someone who does claim to have faith, spend time with God, thanking him for the opportunity that we can draw near to him because of what Jesus has done and thinking through, man, what is my, life, or is my faith right now? Is this real? Is it active? And if it's not, man, how do I begin doing that? What foot do I step forward right now whenever we walk out these doors in order to do so? So I'll just invite you guys for just a second, bow your heads and think through that and pray through that as we enter into a time of worship and think through that as we sing praises to the King that James has been describing.